Dunderdale is back with me this week and we've just been talking off air about uh, my love for reality TV and you're not a massive fan of reality TV, are you, Mark? Uh, in that I never watch it, yeah. No, yeah. So what what is it? Just you're just like, as in the people are just a bit, they, they make you feel like your brain's rotting or you're just not really, not a massive fan of it as a kind of genre. Is there you, any reality TV like you watch what, like Apprentice or anything like that? No, but... I could find a wrestling connection to this. I I started watching Total Divas when that first came on. Yes, yeah. And that was all, and I believe it's been confirmed with interviews with some of the people involved since. It's the, it's a bit too set up, and the reality part is stretched a bit in, mm. in places for me. Uh, I think that's what put me off. And, and yeah, the, the various ideas on a group of young men and a group of young women living in a house together... I watched Big Brother the first few years and um, I think that peaked with, you remember the year where there was the huge fight and they had to send security in and everything. That, yes, that was fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> I think once once you got to that point where there's all out rioting, uh, where do you go next? And it's just the same thing year after year. Yeah, I know. I, th- I think for me it, it peaked with Orla in the hot tub, but that might have been Big Brother Five, I think. So maybe you won't might might not have been watching at that point. But yeah, I I must say, I said to your fair, we are an we are absolute fiend household for for reality TV. If it's dating, you name it, we'll watch it. Uh, what uh, The Hills is one of my all time favorite TV shows. There's an incredible show on, on uh, MTV called Jessica, which is a bit like similar style to Total Divas. They're not talking heads, or like kind of like scripted reality. So yeah, we will watch absolutely anything. So yeah, I've just watched a very good show on Netflix actually, which is a short comedy that you might be more into called Feel Good, uh, which I would highly, highly recommend with uh, a Canadian comedian called May Martin uh, and another girl that was on Taskmaster recently. So there's my recommendation to you, Mark, and all the listeners. Now, 3rd of August, 1985, we're in our time machines and we're going back to spend the day with Jim Ross and Joel Watts. They're at the desk, as they always are these days, and they talked about the final confrontation that was coming up at the Superdome. But before that, Watts said they have a new television champion, Butch Reed, beat Dirty Dutch Mantel in downtown New Orleans and they would have a rematch that week on television. Ross said the final confrontation had been signed for the Superdome between Akbar and Watts. We then cut to Watts who talks about what had happened to Duggan's eye back in May. He said some questionable things about Akbar in the Middle East, very questionable. And then we went back to show a clip of the fireball attack. Watts said that that ball of fire had shattered his life. In his life, there are three things that are important. God, family and country he said he searched his soul and he made some statements and then we cut back then again to an old and great promo from watts when he said he was coming out of retirement watts finished then by saying wrestling is all he has and the fans who have backed him mean a lot to him uh, he said he, he he came out of retirement and he put his fanny on the line something that has an entirely different meaning in the uk and we then cut to another old clip this time of a beat down on duggan and the attempt to go after his eye again this time with akbar cigar Watts said he makes no apology for any weapons he had to use. He makes a distasteful comment about a real-life plane hijacking. He says he's not a bleeding-heart liberal. He talks about what happened to Mike Gray and his sacrifice, and that they sh- and they showed that as well. He said Akbar can't get away with it, and he is putting everything on the line in the Superdome. We we got yet more probo next this time with Duggan alongside Watts. Watts said it was down to survival in the greatest wrestling structure in the world, the Superdome. They're calling it a missing an action match. If one of them, if one team runs, they lose. They're putting everything on the line. Whoever gets beaten will have to leave Mid-South for 90 days. But if they beat Akbar's team, Akbar has to leave. 
Doug and Addis all on the line because this is the land of the free and the home of the brave. He said, MIA, baby, someone's got to go. What said it's him and Duggan or Akbar? It has to happen. So before we get on to Akbar's response, um, there was some questionable and dated content in this, especially early on from Bill, but the rest of the stuff was 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 decent to good or excellent at times, actually, certainly the old clip of his promo. Um, what did you think of this presentation, which is quite a marked change? They've done this a few times, but very, very rarely in terms of promos and recaps at the start of the show. And what do you think of what's here? Yeah, I've got a lot of thoughts on what Watt said. You you ran through it quite quickly there, but it was sort of the best. It was maybe ten minutes of uh, mm. of promo time there. Um, uh, he said early on that Duggan's career was ended by this terrorist act, despite the fact they had tagged together on TV seven days earlier. Um, Duggan, um, after listing the three most important things in his life: God, family, and the country. I thought it was very unusual for somebody in the middle of a promo to introduce himself doing another promo a few months ago. Yes. And then yeah. cut back to the promo from modern day again. That that was unusual. And um, he said that wrestling is all he has, which come across to me like a contradiction because he had three other things that were the most important things in his life five minutes ago besides wrestling. Um, it's apparent from the multiple references to terrorism and war i i felt like bill watts is interjecting some of his own patriotism and real life anger at current events possibly into Big the into one of his storylines he went into a lot of detail about that hijacking it was a twa flight 847 that had taken place in june of 1985 and he mentioned how the hijackers tortured them and slapped them around and laughed at our reaction things like that and then once he got onto using other phrases like bleeding heart liberals and references to law and order, it hit a bit too close to home, in my opinion, in 2021, knowing how, you know, the political landscape is right now in America. And then when he went on to say, I'm an American supremacist, uh, supremist, sorry, and this war has to come down to a final solution. Oh, I yeah. I oh. definitely wasn't on board. That was grim. Yeah, that was really grim. Yeah, yeah really I, I wasn't a big fan. I, I liked his delivery, but I didn't like the content. Yeah, I forgot. I'd actually forgotten that until you said that. I think I, 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 I sort of glazed over that and thought I'm not going to repeat that. But yeah, that was. I, I mean, he knew what he was talking about when he said that, and that's just not, you know, not acceptable in any in any time frame. Certainly not now, and certainly not 85 either. Um, basically, Akbar added in response, "It's a tough world they live in, and when they summarise everything that happened, he could care less about him or this country." All he cares about. Why do Americans say could care less? This is a question for Terry and uh, and Phil and other listeners. Drives me bonkers when I hear that. It's couldn't care less. Yeah, it's uh, Jim Ross said it in Beyond the Mat, if you remember, and I never forgot that. Yeah. I could care less who wins. I could care less who loses. He said. Yeah, I couldn't care less. I couldn't care less. And while we're about it, it's mum, M-U-M. Colour's got a U in it. Come on, guys. Come on, guys. Stop changing the language. Right. That's, that's going to be a popular couple of lines from me there, isn't it? Um, yeah. So Akbar basically, all he cares about is money and he has no intention of leaving the Mid-South area. He said he has enough wealth to the to the end of time to make sure he can eliminate Watson Duggan. What do you think about um, Akbar's shorter and more measured response here? Well, he started by saying he doesn't care about the country. He only cares about the money. I thought 
that kind of negated all of what Bill Watts was saying about how he's fighting on behalf of America. Akbar's mm. not fighting against he America; care. he just wants to make money. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, it it well the past two or three weeks where Duggan and Watts have both talked about standing up for America, it seems like it's a one-sided argument because Akbar's rarely spoken out against the country. Um, as I said, it, he did say he couldn't rely on Americans after the bounty hunters lost last week. But um, besides that. Yeah, indeed. Ross threw to Dutch Mantel before his rematch of the TV title and Mantel said he didn't take kindly to defeat. He's a sore loser and always has been. He thanks Mid-South for having the foresight to give him his rematch. He says Ric Flair has promised him a substantial amount of money if he can take out Reed before their forthcoming world title match. After all that, Mantel attacked Reed before the bell with his bull whip and then went after the referee too. Mantel whipped Reed several times until Reed caught the rip whip and it became kind of a tug of war. And then Reed got on top. He pulled the whip away and he started whipping Mantel. Bill Dundee tried to attack Reed and he got slammed off the top rope and a few whips for his trouble. Ross was going mad on commentary for this and clearly they're pushing Reed very hard for Flair. Uh, what did you think of this promise of a match that didn't turn into a match and we got an angle instead? Yeah, it was a shame. I think those two could put on a, a hell of a match at this point. Um I noticed in Boyd Pierce's introductions, there was a new referee. I don't think I've seen him before. He's in excellent shape. He looks like he might be a wrestler himself. And it, he did what um, Steve Austin recently called Vince McMahon out on, which was to wear a referee shirt two sizes too small <laughs> in order to make your upper body look even bigger. And then when he took a fairly impressive bump to the outside when Mantel threw him out of the ring, that increased my suspicion that he's probably a worker himself. Um, but yeah, once Reed managed to get the whip off Dutch Mantel after that tug of war, I loved uh, Dutch's energetic selling every time he got whipped with it. I like, yeah, it. really good stuff. Back from break, we had Carl Styles, AJ Styles' um, long lost uncle, versus Dick Murdoch. However, this was interrupted. We're getting a lot of this, a lot of interruptions for matches. I'm not sure I'm massively keen on that. I think you can, you can't use that storyline device too often. Um, they were interrupted by Sir Oliver Humperdinck, and he said. He didn't want to wait until the Superdome to get a piece of him. And he challenged Murdoch to face a nightmare there and then, or seemingly did. Murdoch responded saying the people want it right now. So he should get his Pillsbury Doughboy body out of there and he should put the North American title on the, on the line. Um, bit pot and kettle from Murdoch here, given that he wasn't in the absolute best of shape. Humperdinck said he wouldn't be facing the nightmare. And instead, he'd be facing six for eight from the Valley of Death humongous and humongous was basically in demolition outfit plus some fluffy black boots a hockey mask and like a kind of half skirt um <laughs> mini skirt i suppose yeah this was lord hum humongous who had previously had a run in continental and memphis before heading to mid-south uh, murdoch tried to elbow the hockey mask which was really dumb um later he was headbutted with a mask on this busted him open humongous did some strange looking slaps on top of murdoch's head on the outside before chucking him back in humongous got the shinomaki million dollar dream which we've missed and murdoch's arm went down three times and shockingly that was it a total and complete squash. And given that Murdoch wasn't going anywhere, he was around for some time to come. I thought this was more than a little bit bizarre, but I quite enjoyed seeing Dick Murdoch lose. Uh, what did you think of uh, Humongous versus Murdoch here? Yeah, um, like you said, it was yet another interruption during the ring introductions. It It's happening on every show now. It has yeah. been for a while, sometimes more than once in the same hour. Um, Murdoch wasn't showing any ill effects from the shoulder injury that almost kept him out of the ring uh, a week ago he even went as far as to do a couple of star jumps as he was being introduced um 
when Humongous come out, um, he was introduced as being six foot eight, three hundred and fifteen pounds, and I mean, I I was momentarily very excited because I remember Psycho Sid started his career under that name in the South, and he's about six foot eight and three hundred and fifteen ah, pounds. Yeah, but, okay, yeah. As uh, soon as I saw the guy get in the ring, I knew that wasn't Psycho Sid. Um, but I, I was impressed with Dick Murdoch during this match. He he sold huge for the guy early mm. on. His offense was his offense was having no effect at all. But Murdoch was showing in his facial expressions how painful the blows he was taking were. And but it wasn't him doing all the work. At one point, Humongous picked him up in a choke and held him above his head, and that was an impressive display of strength. Um, the headbutt sent Murdoch flying through the ropes to the floor. And when he came back up, he was bleeding very heavily. But as the camera was on him the whole time, I don't think um, Dan, the Mid-South Moments blading expert, will have too much trouble establishing how that happened. Um, but Humongous surely couldn't have dreamed for a better debut. It must have been absolutely shocking at the time because it was still a shock now with 2021 eyes seeing a big-name babyface just destroyed in a one-sided match like that. Um, I know guest host Terry has said a few weeks ago he rates Dick Murdoch as one of his all-time favourites, so... I wonder what um, Terry felt about it if he remembers this angle, seeing uh, a big name babyface just destroyed by a guy making his debut. Yeah, absolutely. I'd be interested to hear that. So I was slightly distracted in your recap of that, Mark. So I just had my COVID test holiday back result, and I'm pleased to say that I'm negative at this point. Right. So even though that that will be two weeks before this, so I'll probably have caught it on <laughs> holiday, and I'll be quarantining. The next time you hear me, I'm quarantining in Mallorca with limited access to Wi-Fi. So I look forward to that. Uh, yeah, no, definitely. I, I think this is really interesting use of Murdoch here because. He was a star. They're, put, they're pushing this guy hard, but it's this brought this guy in, and he's beating him straight away. But I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't dislike that. I think it's interesting. Um, anything that's different is 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 is, is often good. Um, next up, we got Jake Roberts and the Barbarian versus the Mongol and Ken Glover. Um, Joel said he had heard people chanting for Roberts, and it was kind of strange. And Jake won this via DDT as the crowd chanted along in 251, as Ross called it the most devastating move in all of wrestling. Uh, this was, yeah, I don't think there was much here really. What did, did there was much, was anything you had to add on this, uh, this tag team match? No, I mean, the, the popular crowd reaction to Jake continues. They were even chanting DDT during the introductions to this one. Mm. Uh, the Barbarian was in for most of the match and the crowd went pretty quiet. They only really got interested again when he gestured that he was going to tag in Jake and that's when the crowd woke up. Yeah, absolutely. Ted DiBiossi versus Wendell Cooley up next. And given Wendell's recent outings, um, that had been given some time, I was looking forward to this. But then something that was very grating, both of these two had red trunks on. And I can't really recall DiBiossi ever wearing this colour during this most recent Mid-South run. So this is bizarre. Um, Cooley actually did a, a backflip out of the corner here over DiBiossi, which nearly made me spout the water I was drinking while watching. This this bloke is great. Like, he had a great match with Ric Flair, just push him, push him, push him. Um, there was a superb power slam from DiBiossi at 2.30, and then the, the figure floor was... The figure four, even, was applied for the win in 2.44. I really would have loved to have seen 10 minutes with these two, uh, but this was about as good as a two-minute and 44-second match could get. Uh, what do you think about Cooley and DBRC? Yeah, um, the, well, first of all, the Jack Duck referee was back. This time he got an introduction mm. as Tony Torres. I couldn't find anything online about him. Um, I know I say, it, I, I say it every week, but Ted DiBiase is so, so good. There's no wasted movement. Everything he did looked great. 
and and like you said, he hit a phenomenal power slam right before the match ending figure four. Um, knowing how wrestlers in this day and age not only keep wrestling well into their 40s, but are heavily featured on WWE and AEW programming. It's such a shame that DiBiase retired when he was only 39. I think he yeah. had a lot left if, if his neck had held up. Definitely. Jerry Gray versus Al Perez next. I was disappointed that Perez didn't destroy Gray in seconds with a German suplex hit straight away and instead we got a few holds. Gray actually got on top for a brief period with a few dirty tactics, but this included also a great-looking double knee that Joel said was to the chest but looked to me like it was right on the chin. Gray went for a clothesline, but Perez reversed it into a German suplex for the win in just under three minutes. I thought this was pretty decent, actually. What do you think of Perez versus Gray here? Yeah, I agree. Uh, Perez got a good reaction. Like we said earlier, he's been hyped up well by the commentators. He looked technically sound as usual early on with a fireman's carry takedown, a snapmare takedown, Greco-Roman waistlock takedown. And I was quite enjoying it. It reminded me of some of the old British world of sports style matches from this same era. Where Yeah, you definitely. Know, you had the likes of Johnny Saint and Mal Sanders trying to take each other down and keep each other down. So I was quite surprised in, in the middle of that to hear a faint chant of boring. I don't know if you noticed. Oh, I didn't one pick that up. No, yeah. During this, I think in the all the time I've been watching Mid South, I think that might be the first time I've heard it in the Irish McNeil Boys Club. Oh, that is a shame. That's a shame. We don't like that. So yeah, slap yourself on the wrist if you were one of the people that did that. Um, Oliver Humperdinck was out after the break, and he said he didn't want anyone to ask him who Humongous was again because he had beaten one of the top wrestlers in the world. Didn't really understand that. Um, the Nightmare versus Jerry Backland here. I don't think Jerry was any relation to Bob. Uh, Backland took a horrible looking bump from a backdrop in the early going here, where he flipped too far and landed right on his feet, basically, uh, but not not in an athletic way, in like an awful crumpled way. Um, the Nightmare pulled Gray up a couple of times and he had him beaten to continue the assault. And Joel said it could be very dangerous for a wrestler in this sort of situation. Uh, he eventually won by a pile driver, as per usual, a total squash. Anything to add on Jerry Backland versus the Nightmare? Uh, do you, I wonder if he was called Jerry Backland as a knock on Bob Backland here, do you think? Did, did you not recognise him from his later WWE stint, Jerry Backland? No, I didn't. Who is this guy? He went on to become Gigolo Jimmy Del Rey tag team Was he really? Tom Bridges. Wow, yeah. I didn't recognise him at all. No, no, yeah. I did not recognise him at all. Um, yeah, I think he wrestled briefly uh, as Jimmy Backland. Uh, he was okay. Jimmy Del Rey in WCW. He was Jimmy Graffiti. So I think this was just a classic Mid-South getting the name mixed up on the paperwork uh, thing, calling him Jerry for some reason. Um, yeah, I, I made some notes about he was one half of the Heavenly Bodies alongside Tommy Pritchard. Wow. Um, he Getting further into his career, a bit off topic, but I found it interesting. He retired in 1996 while still only in his early 30s. Um, but um, listen to the array of wrestling legends he faced in the final five matches of his career. He wrestled Rey Mysterio on WCW Nitro. Then he wrestled Eddie Guerrero on WCW Saturday Night. Then he was in the 60-man Battle Royal at the World War Three pay-per-view. Then he challenged Dean Malenko for the Cruiserweight title on Nitro. And in his final match in December of 96 was on WCW Saturday night against Chris Jericho. So not a bad wow. last couple of months w there. Was he hurt or something? Or um, did I, he think, I think he must have been, like I say, in mid-30s. But he did. having said that, he did go on to have a good um, career away from wrestling. I can't remember the specifics, but he ran his own business okay. for um, a long time um, after that. Um, yeah, I mean, it's quite the 
regal corner team that the Nightmare now has with Humongous being a lord and Oliver Humperdinck being a knight of the realm. Yes, and, absolutely. Um, you can't you well, you can't beat a good gorilla press slam. Say what you want about Ultimate Warrior, but I always popped for that move and Nightmare hit a good one in this match. Yeah, um, I definitely agree. I always thought the Warriors um uh press slam was always good, I thought, really. Especially yeah. in the kind of late I remember you used to have a video VHS tape of him that was probably more of his stuff from like 88, 89 before he got the title. And he would like just drop people, do the splash yeah. on the back, roll them over, pin them. It always looked great, I thought. So, yeah. I, I remember David Boy Smith used to do one and, and he'd sort of pump his arms up and down as well. I, yeah, I, yeah, I used yeah. To love that. Incredible. And, um, yeah, the Nightmare hit a good one here and, and he toyed with him a bit, pulling him up after a two count a couple of times before finishing it with, as you'd expect, the pile driver. Indeed. So we then went to Ross and he asked uh, superstar Bill Dundee to come in. Um, and Bill Dundee, basically, Ross said, You need to give an explanation on what you did. And Dundee, who looked tiny here, um, and who I could barely understand, said he was the first person to bring class into wrestling with a nice suit. And he was wearing a fairly vile pink jacket. He said something offensive about Bobby Fulton and then challenged him to a match next week. And if Fulton won, he could take Dundee's suit, which I very much doubt would fit him. Uh, what do you think on this show closing promo from Bill Dundee here? Well, the notes I made were similar to what you said, but I, I used different wording. Um, it was quite the visual as Dundee was a few inches shorter than Jim Ross and yeah. at least a foot shorter than Joel Watts. Yes. Um, and it was Ric Flair-esque, I thought, his promo, the content of it, mentioning how the studs on the back of his jacket cost more than Bobby Fulton's entire Kmart wardrobe. Um, and it basically boiled down to him challenging Fulton to that match. If Fulton wins, he gets Dundee's jacket. Uh, hopefully the sleeves can be adjusted. <laughs> Indeed. And Joel put over what an unbelievable specimen Humongous was. And they talked about the final showdown with Watson Akbar in the Superdome. And that was it. So, Mark, what are your final thoughts on the August 3rd, 1965 episode of Mid-South Wrestling? It was an unusual format this week, starting with three different Bill Watts promos, one from May, one from August, and one alongside Jim Duggan. Then it went to a Skandor Akbar promo and then a Dutch Mantel promo before the first bell even rang. Um, but even that, with all that talking early on, they've still got six matches in. Um, the guy's been pushed the hardest. We're all back again for easy victories. And we're getting closer to the next big Superdome show coming up, which I believe is a little over a week from when this show went out. Yeah, I think we've got... So what are we? With the, I think the Superdome is the 18th of... Um, 18th of August. So we're the 3rd of August here, aren't we? So we're going to get... Yeah, there about. We're yeah. going to get one more show pushing it and then we're probably going to get a weird one where nothing much happens. And then after that will be the... Hopefully the kind of new cycle of life where some of these some of these feuds are over. Um, so Mark, thank you very much for joining me on the last three weeks of Mid-South Action. Where can people find you online? Uh, I'm at um, Dopper6, which is D-O-P-P-E-R number six. Excellent. Thank you very much again. Thank you all for listening and we shall chat to you again very soon. Yeah, this is Eric Watts. And for all you phenomenal wrestling fans and fans of this podcast, please do me a favor. If you're looking at uh, more information about Mid-South Sports, Power Pro Wrestling, Universal Wrestling, go to universalwrestling.com and check out that website. It's a must-see.